Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our conversation about what matters most to you, whether you are a seasoned professional or just trying to get started with your project management certifications. It's our goal to help you improve, challenge you, motivate you, and if possible, encourage you with stories from others in the profession. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the experts at all this, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, today we get a chance to draw on the experience of someone who has really an incredible, diverse background. You know, that's the beauty of project management, Nick. Uh, you pull from so many different disciplines. It applies in so many different ways. And it's kind of fascinating when uh, when you get people from different disciplines together to look at how they can manage projects more effectively. Well, let's introduce our guest. Heidi Fogel is a project manager and natural resources practice leader for Amec Foster Wheeler in Kennesaw, Georgia. She's a biologist and has been an advisor on ecological issues and habitat assessments and has negotiated with regulatory agencies. She performs wetland delineations, biological assessments, as well as hazardous waste investigations and remediation projects. Heidi, Welcome to Manage This. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, you have a fascinating background. You've dealt with fish population studies, surface water issues, sediment and soil projects, and other environmental tasks. Since our audience can't see you, I I should probably tell them, no, she is not wearing a lab coat. (laughs) But how, how does a scientist get into project management? Well, at the risk of sounding trite, it was about a boy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I actually, um, when I was in grad school for marine biology at Florida Tech, um, the the route that most people go is to work for a state or federal agency. And I actually had the opportunity to work for an environmental consulting firm. And that opportunity allowed me to stay where my boyfriend at the time was. And so I took that opportunity. And actually, through that, um, got lots of experience working in remediation projects in addition to the biological projects, and uh, eventually moved up through the ranks and became a project manager. You know, I always tell young people, life takes you places that you never expected, so sometimes it's just good to go with the flow. Yes. <laughs> but that's really taken you into, uh, into a lot of places that, that maybe you hadn't planned on, uh, but it allows you to bring kind of a unique set of skills to it. Right, right. You know, nobody expected a marine biologist to wind up in Kennesaw, Georgia. <laughs> it's not as far away from the ocean as you can get, but not as close as you probably should you be. You could be in Oklahoma or Nebraska. I could I be. I could yeah. be, but I'm not. <laughs> Heidi? Give us a sense for what are some of the typical projects that you're working on? Um, Typically right now I manage uh, environmental remediation projects under um, the Superfund process, which is a federal regulation that cleans up old hazardous waste sites, um, usually where there is a known responsible party involved. Um, So that's the bulk of my work right now, but I also manage several smaller projects that uh, support municipal and, um, and industrial clients for uh, getting wetland impacts permitted or addressing impacts to protected species, uh, basically addressing their environmental issues so that they can develop their projects responsibly, yet comply with regulations. Gotcha. There's something unique that you bring to the table that I want to get into because when I was reading over your bio and just getting a sense for the type of work that you do, I'm getting this uh, image of you with two hats. Mm -hmm. One hat is one that I can totally relate to. It's the project manager, and the PM has to get things done. The the project manager commits the team to milestones and deadlines and due dates and deliveries and all these things. 
budgets. And then there's another hat that you wear, which is this environmental consultant that kind of goes back to your roots of, whoa, slow down. You know, don't hurry up, but slow down. We need to assess and test and survey and run all the right, get all the right approvals and go through the right agencies. So how do you wear those two hats? How do you juggle that? Uh, I dance a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's actually part of, that's the biggest part of being in the environmental consulting business. Um, it's a very competitive business. It's a, it's a small, the companies that are in it range from small to large, but it's a small community. Hmm. And, you know, we compete against the same people over and over again in the same, in, in different arenas. So it's important to stay at, on the top of your game. So you have to, you have to be able to jump from one thing to the next. And that was the hardest thing for me to learn hmm. when I came into environmental consulting, because I was very much a start a project work it through to the end, finish it, move on to the next thing. Right. Yeah, I, I can't do that anymore. I have to touch 10 to 20 different things every day. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and that's, that's difficult to, um, to feel like you're making progress, but by taking small chunks, you actually make probably more progress than you would just sitting and focusing on something for a long time. So, Heidi, I'm interested in this part, uh, something you just said. My wife is very much uh, the same way that you are kind of wired, that she wants to start a project um, just uh, really grind on that particular project and then put it in a binder, finish it, put it away, go to the next. I am somebody, I enjoy the variety of skipping around. Oh, uh, yes, you do. Well, no, I, I do, <laughs> and I have a lot of irons in the fire, but I'm able, I guess I'm able to uh, to to stop something and pick it back up the next day pretty well. Mm-hmm. So that's something I, I do well. So how do you manage that, having to do that but not being wired that way? How do you, do you have systems in place? Uh, is your world full of Post-it notes? What is, what is <laughs> Heidi's I life have, look I like? I have a list. <laughs> I have a list, and um, but that list it has to be flexible too. I make my list at the end of the day before what I think that I need to accomplish the next day. And I do check my email pretty regularly to add and subtract from that list and then adjust it in the morning. And then at the end of the day, I look back and I say, oh, well, I got two things done on the list, but Mm -hmm. I also accomplished eight other things. So I think to me, the the being organized uh, is is the best way to manage that. And then also making myself be flexible. And realize that it doesn't have to get done right away. Out of all the technology and all the apps that have come out, I still have not beaten a paper list Mm -hmm. in terms of its effectiveness and just getting things done. (laughs) I can't. I need a paper list and a paper calendar. I need to be able to see the month in front of me still. Yeah. There's a pleasure that I get in taking that little item on a paper list and scratching it off and saying it's done. It's okay. absolutely yeah. thrilling to do that. So let's, let me find something out about you two, because I'm to the point now where if I do something that is not on my list, I write it down on my list for the sheer joy oh, yes. of getting to strike it off. That's me. Yeah, I just raised my hand to that one, too. <laughs> I think they make medications that'll treat the three of us, but you know what? We get things done, so good. buy it in bulk. That's right. My my problem is that I lose my list, and I have to make a brand new one, and it's usually different from the original. Heidi, tell me, uh, as you approach a project, um, and this is something I'm always interested in, uh, how do you sort of uh, organize and approach it. When you get assigned a new project, um, where do you begin? How do you start? How do you even begin to think about uh, the overall deliverables and how you're going to do it? Oh, well, it really depends on the size of the project. Um, The larger projects we work really as big cohesive teams on, so there's a group of people 
planning these things. And generally what happens if it's something that's completely new, we get a request for proposal from a client and usually we're competing against people. So we actually, a bunch of people get in a room and sit down and plan it out. And we go, th we, we go through the scope of work, we itemize the list that they're asking for, we plan out the amount of time we think those things will cost, the personnel that get loaded into that, and then from that we build up the budgets. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, it's, it's looking at what the deliverables are going to be and then building up the tasks underneath those deliverables. And it's a similar effort for a smaller project, but obviously the number of people involved is much smaller. That's good. I, I can think back to RFPs where our team did a great job of estimating mm -hmm. and we won the business and we actually made money off of it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And then, and then others that were not so good. Right. You know, we right. there were some rocks that we didn't turn over and look under. And mm -hmm. uh, those are those are tough. What were there are there some things that you can think back in that RFP process where you guys have um, have found, okay, these are these are things that are common gotchas that we need to look out for? Um, not fully understanding the scope mm. is probably the biggest one. Um, you know, communication I think is probably one of the most important aspects of probably any business and how a scope is written can make or break how you put a, a proposal together right. because it's it's the understand your understanding of what you see on the page and that's not necessarily the same understanding as the person who wrote it Correct. and so usually we have the opportunity to ask questions and get clarifications but sometimes you don't and so that's that's usually the biggest stumbling block is. I thought that's why courts existed to help <laughs> bring to, well hopefully bring the courts never come into what we're doing <laughs> the type of projects that you're doing though because they impact the environment I, I know you're dealing with more regulation than the typical project manager I, I think right. we had a, a guest in uh, Keith Williams in the uh, utility area and many of the projects that they're doing impact the power supplies that we have and, of course, the environment. And, I, you know, I sympathize with the extra um, uh, weight that that brings to you in a project and the perspective that you have to have. One of the things that I see on the, the background, the experience that you have is, you know, again, kind of back, you're, you're a scientist and you're also a PM. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the advantages that you have is, when you're building that, when you're looking at the RFP, when you're building out your project team, even when you're looking at, at estimates, you have the background where you, you may not be the expert in whatever the particular, you know, groundwater treatment or whatever's going on science-wise, but you know enough where you can do a sniff test and go, this is not even close, or this right. person looks like they've got the skill for it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that play out? Have you seen that play out in some of the teams that you put together? Uh, yes, definitely. And we also, um, we do a lot of networking within our own company because my company is large. Mm. Um, we have 35,000 employees worldwide. So we, we have networking systems and we use those. And we also talk to each other, you know, trying to find the best resources to put on a project and whether it makes sense to put those people on the project. Is it cost effective to do so? And if it's not cost effective, we will bring in subcontractors if necessary right. to make it so. So out of 35,000 people, you got to have the right one, right? We pretty much do everything, <laughs> yes, and, and, and usually so. But, you know, it may not make sense to bring someone from Europe to work right. on a project in Alabama, exactly. for example. So um, yeah. we do what we can. And yeah, there's a language barrier there, even if they all speak English. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> but we love our listeners that are in Alabama. Oh, I was Absolutely. talking about the ones in Europe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, Heidi, we, we often like to hear about specific projects, yes. you know, how they developed, how they evolved. Uh, is there a recent project that you've worked on that you can share a little bit about? There, there is one, um, and, and I'll actually, it's, it's one that didn't go so well. I mean, it, mm. we did complete it, and it was successful in the fact that we got the job done, but the path there was tortuous, to say the least, <laughs> um, and long, and uh, not really successful in my book just because, you know, we didn't, we, we actually lost a little bit of money on it. Mm. Um, we didn't get to fully complete the assignment, and... Uh, it just it, it may may not be the best um, the best project to put up as an example as far as a success story goes, but it's all it's I, th- I view it as a valuable learning project. Mm. Um, I learned a lot from that project, uh, mostly what not to do, <laughs> but a, a good bit of what mm. to do. So Heidi, to me, those are some of the best lessons that we can learn is when you learn what not to do, uh, and and it's valuable. It's valuable sometimes to color outside the lines see that you maybe made a mistake and look back at it and think, okay. Uh, so in this case, did you learn anything? You said uh, maybe some things that you wish you hadn't done? Uh, yes. I. It was, again, a, a, an issue of not fully understanding the scope. Mm-hmm. Um, we were brought in as a subcontractor on the project by another firm that then went out of business. So then the client wanted to contract with us directly. And the scope catch. that sounds good, right? It sounds good. <laughs> um, you know, eliminate the middleman. Um, <laughs> but then uh, they had a different idea of what the scope needed to be than uh. we did, and it kept changing, and the project kept changing, and because of that, we had to keep changing our our outputs and our testing and our results and our reports, and it kept dragging out and dragging out and dragging out, and so the end result was a three-mile-long road-widening project in a municipal area that was already developed took more than five months to get the, or not five months, excuse me, five years to get the environmental documents approved. Wow. And we lost not a lot of money, but we had to go back and ask for money multiple times from the Board of Commissioners, and they got to the point where they said, do not come back and ask us for more Mm -hmm. money. So we had to finish, but then we lost money on the job and we got it done, but it was, you know, not the best result. Right. I also learned that if somebody fills in for you temporarily, don't expect them to give it the level of attention that you would give it because they know they're only on it temporarily. They're Mm. just going to babysit it for you. They're not necessarily going to to move it forward the way it needs to be moved forward. So I learned that lesson. Okay, I want to I want to probe just a little bit more here and I uh, hope I don't get too personal, but okay. during these projects you had a couple of maternity leaves. I did. <laughs> and a lot of listeners will be interested in this and yes. and how it um, how it affected you and what you learned. Mm-hmm. So you just we're talking about somebody filling in for you temporarily. Mm-hmm. Was that related to your maternity yes. leave? Yes, okay. it was. And I actually while that project went on, I had two babies. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that tells you how long it wow. went on. Five, yeah. um, and, and went on two maternity leaves. And um, the first maternity leave I went on, uh, I, I gave the project to a seasoned project manager to run for me. And it was, it was in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. We were in the middle of, of doing the analyses, doing the air and noise studies, writing the reports. And um, the person who was doing that work left the company. Uh, not the person who was managing for me, but the person who was actually performing the work left the company. So he did what any good project manager would do. He found a replacement. Right. He found a very expensive replacement. Right. Hmm. So budget, blown. Hmm. And then that's all he did. 
he didn't actually talk to the client at all while I was gone, didn't, didn't move it forward in any way. So when I came back, the project was a little bit of a mess. So I had mm. to fix it. When I went on the second maternity leave, same thing happened because we were redoing the reports by that point because enough time had passed that GDOT had changed how they wanted things to look. So we had to redo everything anyway. And the same thing happened again. And not mm. that these weren't people that were not great at their jobs that <clears throat> weren't doing me a favor, but uh, they didn't have an investment in it. You know, there's a joke in project management. Who's the first person you blame? And the answer is the vendor. Uh, well, yes. actually, the first person is the guy who just left. Okay. <laughs> the second one is the vendor. And I'm going to add the third one is whoever replaced the person on maternity leave. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Or maybe the person on maternity leave, you really want to push yeah. the envelope there. Right, right. But in it, my business, the person that gets blamed is the, is the consultant. Yeah, you know? there you go. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, the vendor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. there, so there's looking at this from a practical standpoint because I think even like if I go on an extended vacation, mm-hmm. I I have that battle of trying to think. Okay, vacations are a chance for me to unplug. Right. However, I know my inbox is going to be full, and I know I'm going to have a stack of things to go through when I return. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm constantly fighting this battle of do I take a peek? Do I trying to knock out some things while I'm on vacation, or do I just ignore it and then pay the price when I get back? Maternity leave. Now, that's, you know, times 100, right? So, and you're in the middle of a project, and you know there are things going on that you're curious about because that was kind of your baby, too. Mm -hmm. And So how did you juggle that? Well, um, by law, you actually can't really juggle it because you're on short-term disability. There you go. See, I learned something Mm. today, Nick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so while I was checking my emails, I wasn't really doing anything about it. Shh, don't tell mm-hmm. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I would answer the phone, answer the phone, and answer questions. You know, just like you would if you leave a job. You know, to help mm-hmm. transition things. But um, but technically, you're not allowed to. Right. Wow. You know, this is a situation where you, you say you, you've learned a lot, but can you actually look back and say, "I would have done this differently," or can you only say, "I wish they had done that"? differently I know what answer I want to say but that seems like the (laughs) selfish answer I wish they had done it differently but I'm not really sure how I could have done it differently if they you know I I don't know if picking a different person would have made a difference I don't think that it would have because I've seen the same thing in another project that's that I work on as the consultant Um, our EPA project manager went on a uh, they they change and function within other federal industries from time to time, do six-month stints with another industry, and she left for a six-month period and had a replacement, and she expected that he would do all of this work on the project while she was gone, and, and he didn't either. So I don't, I don't know that it's, mm. it's a factor of the actual people that were chosen. I just think it's a, um, a mentality. You know, everybody's busy, and, and they're helping somebody out, but they're not necessarily invested in it maybe the way that the actual people that are involved in it day-to-day are. I have a question about um, that scope clarification that came about, Heidi, mm-hmm. when uh, the when you guys became the prime mm-hmm. on that contract, uh, there was confusion over scope, mm-hmm. and it, it kept broadening, yes. and, and there were several little, hey, wait a minute moments, right. it sounds like. Right. Well, looking back on that, what if you, you know, if you could hit the rewind button, what would you have done differently or, or encouraged the team to do differently? I would have uh, written a tighter scope of work in my proposal and made several additional uh, clarifications and assumptions within mm. the proposal. They were there, but it wasn't 
obvious that they were there. So I was constantly going back with the client saying, no, we said two rounds of comments. This is your third, so I'm going to need a change order. And the other, the other point of that project that I should mention, there was also a change in, in the client manager. Hmm. So um, the original client project manager was taken off the project because it wasn't getting moved forward fast enough, and the new guy that came on was, you know, he was, he was going to make it happen. Okay. So, um, so there was that compounding factor, too. So I would have written the scope tighter and made very clear assumptions in the document so that we had very sound bases for going back and requesting additional funding. Yeah. Uh, I've got a follow-up question, too. Um, with You said it was a five-year so this thing spanned across five years. Well, yeah, and we actually inherited it from somebody else. It was going on for okay. five years before that. Wow. So. so my, you know, I think about the projects that I typically uh, worked on were six months to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And we were surprised by the amount of turnover with our key stakeholders during mm-hmm. that period. And now you're talking about something five years. Mm-hmm. How did you guys, uh, what were some of the habits that you did? Or maybe it was a part of your, your normal status meetings just to take a look at the stakeholders and make sure things had not changed. Uh, that's, that's what we did. We have, we have regular status meetings. I have, um, staff meetings every couple weeks mm. and those were the folks that were working on the project. And then I check in regularly with my team members, just, you know, how's it going? I try not to micromanage people mm. because I know that I don't like it. And if somebody's constantly bugging me, that slows me down. So, um, but I do try to check in with people periodically just to make sure that they're moving forward and something, the squeakier wheel isn't getting the grease, mm. so to speak. I want to ask you something general here. What, sure. What's what's a fun kind of project for you? Is is there anything you'd classify as fun that you've worked on? Oh gosh, lots of them. Okay, I had a project where I actually got paid. <laughs> you got to, paid. I got paid. <laughs> I got paid to um, dive and um, look for seagrass beds. That was fun. Wow. It was even more fun when I found out after the fact that there were known alligators in that area. But they didn't tell me that before I went in. So um, I wasn't expecting an opportunity expecting for a new pair of shoes or a briefcase or a wallet. Yeah. yeah you know, I like the way you think. So that was fun. And actually, most of the work that I do, I consider fun because we're looking, we're looking for – sometimes we don't have the, the means to be creative to solve clients' problems because you know there is regulation that we have to go by and sometimes there's very little wiggle room but in many instances particularly on the larger remediation projects we can get really creative and innovative with how we do things Um, I'm working on a project right now that I can't really go into the specifics but in order to reduce the remediation footprint we're actually going to move a river Hmm. that's pretty cool and fun and it's not a little river it's a big river so um, we're kind of in the middle of that right now and that's pretty exciting that's so, cool. Yeah, and I get to work with a really diverse team of people that really know what they're doing, and that's a lot of fun. That's <laughs> fun. There, there's another piece that I just was thinking about. Um, I, I was doing work with uh, Pacific Gas and Electric when the uh, Aaron Brockovich movie came out. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually I remember one day going to – I was consulting with them, and I, I had to walk across the picket line. Mm. There was some protesting going out in front of the uh, corporate office. And uh, so from time to time, some of the projects that you're working on, are, they may be making the front of the paper. Yes, they and, may. And uh, how do you manage that? How do you guys control your communication to make sure that you don't have a team member who's speaking out of line? We, we have uh, meetings with our staff uh, before there's any kind of intera- potential interaction with 
the public, for example, if we're going out to do field sampling, we have safety. Safety is very important in our business. Um, most of our people have OSHA has Whopper training because we're dealing with potentially contaminated environmental media. And so we have safety briefings every morning and sometimes at lunch and usually tailgate meetings at the end of the day, you know, what went well, what could have gone better. So when that's an issue, particularly first meeting of the day, we say, if anybody comes up to you and has a question, here's what you're to say. And we usually have been told by the client what to say. Um, here's who you can refer them to if they have questions. Mm. And, you know, if you see a newspaper reporter or anything, you know, just make sure you've got your gloves on, you know, make sure you're doing your job right. right. Um, but that's, that's what we do every day, but, it's, but that's what we do. We communicate with our staff to make sure that they know. Um, but it does happen on occasion that somebody sure. messes up. Heidi, I've got a question as we, as we uh, kind of wrap up the podcast here. Um, what do you look for in a PM, in a project manager? What, what characteristics are you most interested in for project managers that you work with or that work for you? Uh, an ability to think quickly on their feet. Hmm. It's very important. Uh, also, the ability to work well with a diverse group of people because you need to be able to absorb other people's ideas and interpret how they might work within the framework of what you're doing. Uh, you need to be detail-oriented enough to be able to pay attention to your scope, schedule, and budget. And uh, you need to have good planning and organizational skills, particularly if you're working in, in large, diverse projects. You know, it's, it's crucial, it's essential. You have to, you can't just, you know, be a happy-go-lucky, let it lie. Kind of project manager. There are movies playing in my mind with each one of these <laughs> that you're talking about because you learn the hard way. You'll right. meet the best person in the world who lacks one of these skills and you get burned on. And it's always going to be right. the one that's missing where you mm. get you get scorched. Right. Hmm. And I think probably uh, one of the best examples I got and one that I try to follow is I would never ask my team members to do something I wouldn't do myself. Hmm. If even swim with alligators. <laughs> I did it. So, um, but you know, it, I, I I think you have to garner respect mm. with the people who are working with you, and you have to. Um, if you're going to be, if you're going to ask them to stay late to put a report together, you should be right there with them, mm. not going home and kicking your feet up. Well, Heidi Fogel. Thank you so much for being with us here on Manage This and giving us your valuable insight. We actually have a special memento of your visit here that coffee mug sitting oh, in front you. of you we've gone to great expense to uh, provide that we, we've not moved rivers but uh, but you know and, and you could you know use it for tea or coffee probably even grow seagrass in it if, yeah, if yeah. you like to maybe so. well thank you for having me i enjoyed being here well thanks heidi and, and andy and bill as always thank you for your expertise here at manage this we pride ourselves on being able to provide a double benefit from this podcast. Not only do you get the benefit of hearing others' experiences, but you also earn PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications. To claim your free PDUs for this podcast, just go to velociteach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click on the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on April 4th for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velocityteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us and tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We'd love to hear from you. 
That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.